Hey, this is Steve. This podcast is all about making the gospel relevant to your life. That means discovering the good news of Jesus, no matter what you're going through today. Hurricane Ian was a powerful illustration of the importance of building our house so that it will stand through the storm. And we've been saying that the materials you choose will determine the quality and the value of your house. In this message, my goal is to help you discern good materials from bad materials, good, solid teaching and content from bad teaching and content so that you can build your house and it will stand through the storm. We've been talking all year about building our house to withstand the storm. And I know that between today when I'm recording this message and Sunday when you're viewing it, there's going to be a huge storm that passes over Florida and Georgia. The aftermath by Sunday will be very apparent. Nobody wants a house that gets blown down by the storm. I know you want a house that stands strong through the storm. That's what we've been talking about all year as the storm rages around us. And so we're talking in this series about how the materials you use will determine the value and the quality of your home. And I want you to build your house from strong, solid materials. That's why we're doing this series. I want to help you have a good biblical Christian worldview know how to think, and know how to interpret what's going on in the world around us. So think about it this way. In the Screwtape Letters, C.S. Lewis writes a set of fictional letters from Screwtape, a senior demon, to his nephew, Wormwood, a junior demon. And he's writing in this one particular letter about how, hey, look, Wormwood, don't try to use an argument from logic to get your assigned human to do the wrong thing. Don't, don't, try to, don't try to reason with him. In fact, here's what he writes. He says, by the very act of arguing, you awake the patient's reason. And once it's awake, who can foresee the result? Even if a particular train of thought can be twisted so as to end in our favor, you will find that you've been strengthening in your patient the fatal habit of attending to universal issues and withdrawing his attention from the stream of immediate sense experiences. And he says, your business is to fix his attention on the stream. Isn't that like us? Aren't we fixated on the stream? The stream, whether it's the stream of social media or the stream of the daily news or the stream of the drama around us or just the day-to-day activity in our lives, we're fixated on the stream And we tend to miss the importance of building our house. We're so busy with so many other things that we aren't even thinking straight about how to build our house. There's a lot of content out there competing for your attention all the time, right? And a lot of it even has a Christian label on it. You know, it claims to be good, solid Christian stuff, But just because it's got a Christian label doesn't mean it's biblical. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that sounds good, sounds Christian, sounds like it'll build your house, but it's the wrong thing. 
Paul even recognized this in his day. And he writes to his apprentice, Timothy, and he says, hey, people are going to be listening to things other than the gospel. And he says, hey, Timothy, get to your people and remind them of the truth. Remind everyone about these things and command them in God's presence to stop fighting over words. Such arguments are useless and they can ruin those who hear them. The word here for ruin is a Greek word. It's the word catastrophe. Yeah, that's a Greek word. And you know what it means? It means catastrophe. It means that when you are building your house wrong, it can lead to a catastrophe like we've seen in the news this weekend. Yet Jesus even alludes to what a catastrophe really is when he's talking about Judgment Day. He says on that day, on Judgment Day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed miracles in your name. Look, we did everything right. We, we went by the book as far as we were taught. But Jesus says, I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. That sounds like a catastrophe to me. People who build their lives thinking they're doing the right godly thing only to find out on judgment day that they were wrong all along. So I want to help you to discern good from bad. I want to help you be able to discern good teaching, good content from bad teaching, bad content, so that you can choose the right materials from which to build your house. So this is a little different today than usual. I, instead of a sermon sermon, I'm going to give you my personal five-point checklist of how to uh, determine what is true and what is false, especially when it comes to the Christian label kind of teaching. Uh, I want you to be able to discern so that you can build your house. So here we go. This is my own. It's not something I found somewhere. This is just my checklist for you uh, of checking um, for good Christian, godly, biblical content. Here we go, starting with number one. The first checkpoint is to check the fruit. Yeah, check the fruit of the teacher. Is what he's teaching unifying, uplifting, and, and building you up? Or is it divisive? Does it get you worked up and angry? What does his teaching lead to? And how does he conduct himself? Or how does she conduct herself? Jesus says to beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep. Yeah, they got the Christian label, but they're really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. You've seen this in our culture today. Um, I don't know the name of the, the guy, but I've seen a guy who is a, like a televangelist or something. He's on Facebook all the time and he's a preacher, uh, but yet when I hear him talk, it's always sarcastic. It's always mean-spirited. It's always bullying. Uh, he's always slinging names around. And um, boy, it's just, it's very, very off-putting. Some of you guys love this and you've shared it on your own Facebook timeline because man, uh, that stuff will get you going. It makes you feel good about yourself. But is it glorifying God? Does it show the fruit of the Spirit? That's the most basic way to test a teacher. You hold up what they're saying to love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness. I mean, just hold it up to these things and do they pass this test right here? And if not, then they might just be a wolf in sheep's clothing. Watch out and don't build your life on that kind of teaching. Okay, that one was easy. Let's go on to the next one. The second checkpoint is what's the source? What is the source of this particular teaching? Is it what's in the news? Is it what people want to hear? Is it something to sell books? Is it something to fill seats? I mean, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I think I can make just about anything sound spiritual by taking a topic and sprinkling some verses on it. And frankly, it's really, really easy uh, to draw a crowd by saying some culturally attractive things, but making it sound spiritual by sprinkling verses. That's, that's not good teaching just because you sprinkle verses on it. Jesus wants us sanctified by the truth. In fact, he prayed that to God himself. When he was praying, he said, God, make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is the truth. Paul, writing to Timothy, says, preach the word of God. Be prepared, whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. Why? For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires, and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. Boy, this is really a thing today. It feels like Paul's talking about America in the 21st century, that people will be just saying stuff that you want to hear, that tickle your ears. And we're, we're not going to do that here at the Orchard Church. That's why I'm doing this series. In fact, we're talking about having a good Christian worldview, thinking biblically, and starting next week, we're going to talk about the cultural intersection of our biblical thinking versus the cultural uh, issues of the day. So next week on October 9th, we're going to be dealing with the real topic of abortion. The following week on, Mar uh, sorry, October the 16th, we're going to talk about gay marriage and what that's really all about. The following week, we'll talk about gender issues. Can God accidentally put a male spirit in a female body? Is that even a real thing? What does the Bible have to say about that? And on the 30th, we'll talk about debt relief. Is it really legit? Uh, should we um, just forgive everybody's debt? I mean, it's biblical, right? I mean, isn't my Christianity based on a debt that was forgiven. So what does the scripture really say about these things? We're going to have some hard conversations over the next few weeks about these very topics. I hope you'll be in on that and I hope you'll be praying for me as we prepare that. I want us to go to the source, the Bible, not the culture. I want us to go to the truth, not what is culturally relevant in the moment. That's what we're going to be doing over the next several weeks. All right, let's go to the next checkpoint. The next checkpoint is who does this teaching or preaching elevate? Who does it elevate? Uh, who does it make look good? 
You know, a lot of Christian teaching today seems to be based on giving you self-confidence, on making you feel better, on making you think that you are good. I think you are good. I hope you're good. But let me be clear. Good theology elevates God. Good theology creates a high, high view of God. Good theology, good teaching creates space between me and God. Yeah, it creates a good space in there and makes me feel that gap. Why? Because it's in this space, that's where grace happens. It's grace from God. The more space there is between me and God, the more grace I need. When Christian, quote, Christian teaching elevates us. It makes us need God less. We're closer to him. We aren't so bad. We got this on our own. We don't really need him after all. It sounds good and it makes you feel good about yourself, but it really denies the gospel. A good example of good theology about God and man is found in Isaiah. Isaiah had this opportunity to catch a glimpse of God. Here's how it went down. Isaiah says, it was in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. So he catches this glimpse of God and he can't even really see God. God is so massive, so powerful that he just sees the bottom of his robe, the train of his robe. It fills the temple. That's how big and how awesome God is. And it doesn't end there. He says this, attending him were mighty seraphim. These are angelic creatures, each having six wings. With two wings, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. And with two, they flew. They're calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. Yeah, I don't really know what these creatures are, seraphim with all these wings and everything, uh, and, and they're clearly higher than us. They're a higher order of being than humans. They can fly, their voices thunder, and make the building shake, okay? So these are incredible beings, and yet they're not talking about themselves. They're talking about God and how great He is. That ought to tell us something about the majesty and the glory of God. And then look carefully at Isaiah's response. Isaiah sees this and here's what he does. Then I said, it's all over. I'm doomed for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. He recognized that in his sinful state, he should not be seeing a holy God. He recognized that just being in the presence of God's holiness would mean certain death for him. He saw who God was and who he is. He recognized there's a big gap there. Falling to his face, he says, I'm doomed. But look what happens next. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from his altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and he said, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. 
You see, good theology realizes that I can't make it to God, but that it's his grace, it's his work, it's his sacrifice that comes to me and forgives me. He does all the work. I am just the humble, grateful recipient of the gift of his grace. Okay, I'm just going to be honest. The next checkpoint is a little harder for us. Here it is. Is this teaching in line with God's word? Yeah, this is a little harder for us because I'm just going to be honest. We don't really know God's word. All we really know is what we know. We have a lot of experience. We know what feels good. We know what we've seen, what we've done. And so we kind of tend to operate on autopilot. We kind of tend to operate our lives based on our own experience and not on the word of God. You say, oh, that's not true about me. I'm a Christian. I believe in God's word. Really? Can you quote me 10 Bible verses? Can you quote me five? Why don't you? Okay, let's just make it basic. Just give me the 10 commandments. Can you name all 10 of the commandments? Name the 12 disciples. How many books are in the Bible? You, come on, let's just be honest. You and I, we don't really know God's word. This one is a little harder for us because this one requires homework. It requires discipline. It requires us to be immersed in the word of God. He's given it freely to us. Why wouldn't we be in it all the time? But we don't. We're lazy. We're irresponsible. I know I am. And so what we do is we lean hard into our own experience and we tend to value our experiences over the word of God. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Let me, let me just tell you about one instance of this. I've told this story before, but I had a pastor friend uh, who I went to school with. We grew up in the same theological background. And so we kind of knew the same things, studied the same things, believed the same things. And he and I kind of went in our own directions, but I began to notice at his church that he pastored, they began to kind of deviate from what I perceived to be biblical truth. They began to practice worship in ways that I felt was not biblical. And so one day I just asked him to coffee and I said, hey, I just want to talk to you. And uh, over coffee, we just talked and I just asked him, hey, um, I've noticed you're doing these things here um, that I don't really understand. What have you learned? What have you gained that I don't understand? What am I missing? Tell me about it. And here's what my pastor friend told me. He said, well, I'll be honest. I know that some of this stuff that we're doing is not really in the Bible. It's not really biblically based. He said, but I've seen too much. <laughs> and before he could get the next sentence out, I said, hold it, hold, hold it, wait just a minute. Wait, wait just a minute. Did you really just say that you value your experiences over the word of God? Did you really just say that you know it's not biblical, but you prefer the experience? And of course, he's like, well, no, that's not what I mean. But that's exactly what was going on. They were experiencing things that were not biblically taught. Man, we do this all the time. We step into this all the time in our lives. That's walking by sight, not by faith. It's walking by experience, not by the word of God. But we have the generous word of God that he's given us to live our lives by. 
The word of God is living and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. Yeah, that's how sharp it is. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Yeah, when you're walking by sight and not by faith, when you're walking by your experience and not the word of God, what you're really saying is that God's word isn't enough in your life. You're saying that the revelation of God himself isn't good enough for you, that you need something better, and that's your experience, or that's your stream that you get caught up in. But God's word has been given to us as inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. God uses his own word to help us build our house so that we'll stand through the storm. Okay, one more checkpoint for you on this hopefully shorter than normal message. And that's this one. This one's really important. Here it is. Is this teaching gospel-centered? Is it gospel-centered? Does it come because of the gospel, and does it lead me deeper into the gospel? Yeah, most teachers and most listeners feel that the gospel is for lost people, but that me, somehow I'm a Christian, so I've grown past the gospel, but the reality is I need the gospel all the time. I need to be, as Paul said, reminded of who I was and reminded of who I now am, right? I need to know that I was once a sinner, dead in my sin, separated from God with no hope in this life under God's wrath and under his judgment because I was a criminal against a holy God. I deserved swift and complete punishment. The wages of sin is death. But God loved me so much that he sent his son Jesus, who had no sin of his own to pay for, and he went to the cross and he died there on my behalf. He took the guilt and the punishment for my sin on himself, and he died in my place on the cross, and he didn't stay dead. He rose three days later, proving that his sacrifice was good enough. And today he is alive at the right hand of the Father, and he lives in me and in you to give us new life. I need to be reminded of that all the time because when I see who he is and I remember who I am, it causes me to have a good gospel response to him. And the gospel response is repentance and faith. This should be the pattern of the believer. Repentance isn't just for lost people. Repentance is for me and for you every day. The way God deals with us is he shows us more of Jesus, convicting us of our sin, leading us to repentance, and trusting him with our lives more and more all the time, right? That's the gospel response that we should all be having in our lives. It's not, I need to work harder. It's not, I need to do better. It's not, I need to manage my time right. It's, I need to die to myself and take up my cross and follow him, right? In Galatians, Paul writes, my old self 
has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Paul felt that this gospel truth was so imperative that he actually pronounced a curse on people who taught anything different than this. Okay, this is important because we're talking about false teaching and there's so much of it out there. The Bible actually pronounces a curse on those that teach anything other than the real gospel. Here's how Paul articulates it. He says, let God's curse fall on anyone including us, or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preach to you. I say again what we've said before, if anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcome, let that person be cursed. Man, that sounds really heavy, but Paul's not just being mean here. He's not just being angry. He recognizes the heart of God himself about this. Here's how Jesus put it. He said, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it's well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. I don't want that for you. Jesus doesn't want that for you. He wants you to build your house on the solid foundation with good materials that will stand through the storm right? Together, we are his house. That's what Paul says in Ephesians. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. So, Believer, stand firm. Don't be pushed around and swayed and tossed around by the winds of our culture. And be careful about false teaching. Instead, I want you to stand strong. Believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. My prayer for you is that you will stand strong through the storm.